Each of us has a birth story. Mine was fairly traumatic. My mother's labor was long and hard, and perhaps from all the medication that she received or perhaps because of the stress for all the labor, when I was finally born, I was lethargic. In fact, I was not breathing. And after several unsuccessful attempts to get me to breathe, the medical attendants ran for the respirator, at which point I wisely decided to start breathing on my own. Thankfully, not all birth stories are quite that dramatic, but each one is unique. And most of us know the story of how we entered the world, and if we don't, we probably know our adoption story, the way that we entered our family. And it is good, it is good to remember these stories. Aside from being entertaining, they help us remember some very important things. They help us remember where we came from and to whom we belong. They help us remember who we are. The gospel writer, Luke, seemed to know the importance of birth stories. Luke, who authored both uh, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, begins both accounts with birth stories. He begins Luke with the birth of Jesus, and he begins Acts with the birth of the church. Now, just as most births are preceded by a period of gestation, so was the birth of the church. This gestation period began with Jesus and his ministry and was punctuated by his death and his resurrection. And finally, near the end, we find Jesus' disciples gathered together in Jerusalem waiting. For what? They're not exactly sure. But they're doing what the risen Lord has asked them to do. And then, one morning, it happens. As they gather together, the time for the birth comes. It takes place in Jerusalem during the festival of Pentecost, when Jewish pilgrims from all over the ancient world are swarming through the city streets as they bring the first fruits of their barley harvest to the temple as an offering to God. It's interesting, this festival probably drew even more people to Jerusalem than did Passover. So you get the picture of what things were like. Lots of people, plenty of commotion and foreigners all over the place. On this day, however, the disciples were not out in the streets mingling with the crowd. They're tucked away in a room somewhere, waiting and praying. And that's when it happens. Suddenly, from heaven, there comes a sound like the rush of a violent wind. Tongues of fire appear on among them, and they rest on each one. And then, then the disciples begin to speak in all sorts of other languages that foreigners on the streets understand. People outside hear the commotion, and a crowd forms, and people are bewildered, they're amazed, they are perplexed. I mean, what is this all about? Many of them are foreigners to the city, and when they, they hear their own language being spoken by a bunch of provincial Galileans, 
How could it be? I mean, they understand the words that are being spoken, but they cannot begin to understand what it all means. Of course, there are a few in the crowd who are pretty sure they know what's going on. These babbling men and women are drunk on new wine. They are out of their heads. But Peter knows better. So he steps forward to address the crowd. We're not drunk, he says. It's too early in the morning for that. What you see is not a disorderly display of drunkenness. What you see is fulfillment of prophecy. And he explains what people are seeing is an outpouring of God's spirit as foretold by the prophet Joel. And he goes on to explain that this was all about Jesus, who had been crucified and was raised from the dead. He is Messiah and Lord and is now pouring out his spirit upon them. Now, many people believe Peter's testimony. And by the end of that day, around 3,000 people are baptized. 3,000 people baptized, and they begin new lives, lives devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayers. And so the church is born. On each Pentecost Sunday, we return to this birth story, not primarily because it's a nice story, although it, it is. We return to it because it is our story. It's the story of the birth of the church, of which we are a part. It's the story of where we have come from and to whom we belong. It's the story that helps us remember who we are. In this story, we are reminded that we have been born through a powerful work of the Holy Spirit. And it is by the power of the Spirit that we continue to be the church. In fact, the vitality and growth of the church, and here I'm referring to this congregation and also the wider church, the vitality and growth of the church primarily depends upon our openness to the power of the Spirit, our openness to follow where that Spirit leads, and our openness to be shaped in the way that the Spirit is wanting to form us. That means we may need to be open to change, not just to new ways of doing things, but to new ways of being. Because when the breath of the Holy Spirit blows through, transformation follows. Just look at Peter. A few weeks back, he was the cowardly disciple who denied that he ever knew Jesus. Not once, not twice, three times. But on that day of Pentecost, under the influence of the Spirit, he boldly steps out and speaks the truth to a very large crowd of people. And this time, he not only admits to knowing Jesus, he invites others to know Jesus too. Of course, Peter's not the only one transformed by the Spirit. The motley 
group of disciples huddled in a room together is transformed into the church. The Holy Spirit rattles loose the windows and the doors of that place and sends them out on the streets with something to say that is worth hearing. Now this is transformation. The cowardly turn courageous. The confused become convicted. And here among us, that transforming spirit is still at work, wanting to rattle loose our doors and our windows, wanting to set our hearts on fire with a passionate faith, longing to send us out with something to say that is worth hearing. Lest we think that the Spirit is just for us, the story reminds us that this Spirit is poured out on all people for all people. When Peter explains to this crowd what this commotion is all about, he quotes from the prophet Joel and notes that the day has come for God to pour out his Spirit on all people, men and women, young and old, slaves and free. There is no limit. There is no limit to who can and will be empowered by the Spirit to discern God's dreams and to, to dream God's dreams and to discern God's purposes and to boldly proclaim the good news to all people everywhere. To all people everywhere is emphasized as the disciples find themselves proclaiming God's deeds of power in all sorts of strange languages. The word is to go out and be heard and understood by all. By the power of the Holy Spirit, language, culture, race, ethnicity are no longer barriers. The good news of Jesus transforms and transcends every human construct and brings people together into one family. I wonder, what would our world look like if we really believed this? And if by the power of the Spirit, we fully lived it? That might take some imagination. But then again, this Pentecost story is all about imagination. All throughout it, God's imagination runs wild, emboldening timid people, solidifying a group of hesitant followers, and expressing itself in ways that all people everywhere can hear and understand. And God's imagination is still running wild. As I reflect on this congregation's journey of transition over the last 20 months, and now as we look forward to welcoming a new pastor, Todd Friesen, in August, I find myself curious and excited and wondering what kind of future is God imagining for this congregation? What new opportunities are coming to engage with our local community? What new ideas are bubbling up among us for unapologetically sharing the gospel of peace 
In what ways might we be nudged to better understand and care for each other? Or to more fully live into God's welcome for all people? If we're open to the imagination of the Spirit, we'd better be ready for some surprises. And perhaps that's where we hear a word of challenge this morning. Just how open are we to this transformative, imaginative, barrier-breaking Holy Spirit? It could be risky. An unknown author puts it like this. The trouble with the Holy Spirit is if you open the window a crack to let it in, it might literally blow the doors off. She adds, and if a congregation can't trust their pastor to protect them from the Holy Spirit, whom can they trust? I've had to think about that one. I will admit that I am more comfortable thinking of the Holy Spirit as comforter. Somehow this image of the Holy Spirit as a violent wind, maybe even like a tornado that rattles windows and doors and sends us out into the streets speaking strange languages, it's a bit unsettling. Still, I am reassured when I remember it is this very spirit that brought us to birth and that gives us life. And if we as a church have any vitality, any relevance to the world around us, it's because this spirit lives in us and among us. During the season of Pentecost, as we contemplate the work of the Spirit among us, and during the season of congregational transition, as we contemplate the many changes before us, I offer us all an invitation, and this invitation includes myself as well. Like those disciples huddled in a room in Jerusalem, praying and waiting for who knows what, let's us adopt an attitude of prayerful waiting. Let's pray that the winds of this spirit will guide us and keep us and disturb us when necessary. Let's pray that the winds of this spirit will fill our imaginations and free us to embrace God's wildest dreams for us. Let's pray that the winds of the spirit will lead us to deeper faith, deeper action, deeper love as we seek to follow its currents together. Amen.